The content of the following program is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, treatment, or cure. Always consult your physician or a health professional with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Ready, set, go. And the truth shall set you free. Welcome to One Life Radio. We are indeed going higher, everyone. Welcome to One Life Radio. This is Bernadette Fiaschetti with Jerry Caldwell and Marie Early. We are broadcasting live from Dallas, Texas on iHeartMedia as well as KMET in Southern California on ABC News Talk. Hey, Jerry. Hey, Marie. Hello. Well, hello. <laughs> Got everybody on the mic this morning. Getting, getting warmed up for tomorrow's Valentine's Day show. Excellent. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's going to be a good one. I don't know what we're going to talk about yet, but we'll figure it out. I think I'm thinking about singing the song uh, Midnight Train to Georgia because that's my favorite romance song. And I'm looking for a valentine. And you're looking looking for a valentine? You're shopping the airwaves for a valentine? (laughs) That's dangerous. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) It sure is. But it's great to be here, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us and listening in. We have Karen Madonna here with us this morning. She is filling in for Mary Holland. Karen, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Bernadette. How are you? Good, good. It's great to have you back with us. Uh, You haven't been on the air with us in a couple of months, but it's great to have you back. Let me read your bio for those that are maybe not familiar. Karen Madonna is the chapter coordinator for the Children's Health Defense. She has been involved in children's advocacy since 2005, serving on the board of the National Autism Association, that's the NAA, as well as the Foundation for Autism Information and Research. Karen later took on the role of chapter development director for the NAA, where she grew the organization by expanding their base of local support groups in many states across the U.S. She holds a degree in economics from the University of Illinois at the Urbana-Champaign, I guess, uh, campus. Uh, Her website that you can reach her at is childrenshealthdefense.org. That's childrenshealthdefense.org. And like I said, welcome back. And thank you for filling in for Mary Holland. She is the president and general counsel of Children's Health Defense. We have a lot of important issues to cover today from the Defender Newsletter, most read news and views of the week from the childrenshealthdefense.org. Are you ready for the first story, everyone? I am. All right, let's do it. (laughs) All right, well, Karen, you know, uh, the first story headline reads, Would a climate emergency open the same door to authoritarian governance as the COVID emergency? So, Karen, how could be declaring a climate emergency infringe on civil liberties and human rights? And how would a climate emergency work? Sure. Well, anytime there's a national emergency declaration, it triggers a set of emergency powers that allows the president to act without the need for further legislation. So it definitely could, um, you know, be a problem in, and have the same sort of outcomes as the COVID emergency. Um, this this allows uh, for the potential for us, uh, there's the authoritarian model of emergency governance. And, um, you know, it's, it's something we all need to be uh, on the alert for. Yeah, you know, I was really scared when I I spent most of my time uh, studying for today's show on this particular story because, oh my gosh, you talk about, <clears throat> excuse me, going down a rabbit hole. There is so much to know about this, right? There is a lot to know. There's a lot to know. Yes. Well, um, you know, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> well, we say there's a lot to know about it. Okay, so let's start with, um, you know, let's start with this. So 
the uh, climate journalist uh, Elizabeth Colbert recently wrote an article published in the New Yorker. And uh, what did she say must happen in order to reach net zero by 2050, which is covered in this article in the Defender newsletter? Sure. Well, there's a lot of things that have to happen, and these aren't things that can be done very quickly or easily. Um, Bernadette, the fossil fuel industry would basically have to be dismantled, um, and that would uh, include dealing with leaky leaky and abandoned oil wells uh, that would need to be sealed. Um, The whole concrete, plastics, and chemical production industries would need to be re-engineered. Fertilizer uh, industry would need to be overhauled, and um, boilers, water heaters, gas stoves, dryers, Um, in both uh, private and in in industry settings would have to be uh, replaced. Yeah. I mean, this is complex Uh, and it's and it will take decades. But concrete production alone, let's talk about that, would have to be re-engineered. The same goes for the plastics and chemicals industries as well. As you said, the fertilizer industry will also have to be refashioned. And uh, tens of millions of public charging charging stations must be installed on city streets and even more charging uh, stations in private garages. Uh, nickel and lithium must be extracted for electrical batteries, which means uh, sitting, siting, uh, excuse me, siting new mines either in the U.S. or abroad, and new methods for producing steel, steel or building a new infrastructure for capturing and uh, sequestering carbon must be invented. And all of this should be done. Indeed, most of it should be done. Uh, Colbert wrote, uh, zeroing out emissions means rebuilding the U.S. economy from the bottom up. I mean, we're talking about it even affecting, I mean, think about it. Even our, someone said to me, our lawnmowers, okay, people that, <laughs> when you mow your lawn, you use a gas mower. You put gas in your mower. I mean, and where where does all of this end? And I don't know it. You have to ask your, your yourself, you know, is... Is this really something that we need to do uh, so extremely? I don't know what your thoughts on it, or Marie, or Jerry, what you guys think about what we just said, but, you know, how do you change the world without, you know, I don't know. It's very complex. That's why I said I went down a rabbit hole, and I read for hours about this. It's kind of scary. Right. It's, it's absolutely then- necessary to start doing it aggressively if we're going to take care of it. There's There's no way around it. We've tried to do it nicely. We've tried to give people options. Eventually, you have to take it out of their hands. Yeah. Well, I mean, but where do where do you draw the line? You know, there's a climate emergency. I believe there is a climate emergency, but you know, um, you have to do things. When you do things quickly, you make mistakes. You do things sloppily, um, and people. I don't know. It's just it's a very complex subject. Or not, Mary. Sorry, Freudian slip there, Karen. Uh, what do you want to say about this? Well, I, I think you know what this would do to the economy as well is. Huge, huge, um, big red flag. I mean, it, it would be a huge problem. You'd, you'd have to just shut down so many industries. Um, another uh, shipping. Think about all of the trucks and all of the shipping uh, on, you know, diesel trucks and um, the, the airline industry. So oh. it's, it's a huge, huge undertaking, and it doesn't seem like uh, it's something that can be done quickly um, well, at all. A lot well, of that can be done fairly quickly with doing things like uh, localizing uh, the supply chains, things like that, you know, uh, yeah. far, farm to table things. Yeah. Um, because a large portion of uh, the shipping uh, that happens on through trucks, which is the, the, the dirtiest of it, is for food. And we yeah. waste so much food already. It would yeah, be much that- better if we just had farmers that were doing things on a more local basis that would cut down on that. 
Yeah, no, I agree, and that's one of the things that I uh, have here in my notes. Waste, waste, waste. Think how much food America, people all over the world, but especially here in America, how much we waste, how much we don't recycle. I was in a local, um, I was in a local grocery store slash restaurant over the weekend, and um, and make a long story short, they go through hundreds of bottles of wine every weekend because part of what they sell is wine. And I asked the girl, you know, I took my little tasting cup and I threw it in my purse and she said, oh, you want me to recycle that for you or take that for you? Throw it in the t-. I said, no, I'm going to take it home and recycle it. She said, oh, I wish they recycled here. And, uh, you know, she told me, she said hundreds of bottles, glass bottles go in the trash every single day. And that's only just one little place, you know, here in Dallas. Take that and multiply it times, you know, tens of thousands of restaurants and just grocery stores and places where they don't recycle and the food that they waste. And we just have too much access in this country. We've, we've become so entitled and so spoiled to think that we get to go anywhere we want and buy anything we want and waste anything we want. That's part of the big problem here. I think one of the first things that we can change is quit. Like, like Jerry said, quit wasting food and buying local. What do you think about that? Karen? It's a great place to start for sure. Yeah. And but, you know, this 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 climate emergency, kind of like, you know, the emergency, uh, the covid, uh, the national emergency, uh, you know, it was Trump who issued it. And uh, that declaration on March 13th, 2020 was accompanied by public health emergencies and, you know, or emergency and then uh, just a tsunami of health and safety rules and restrictions that were put in place. And I don't think that they were it was necessarily good. I think that we made so many mistakes and I don't know how you even go back and hold those people accountable, but a climate emergency is an emergency, right? And so that uh, puts into um, into power like a lot of uh, that's put puts into effect, I should say, like a lot of powers to uh, the government, uh, the president. And you know, I just don't think it's. I don't know. I just think it. it I don't think it's a good idea. I think that we need to address it immediately, but I don't think we need to declare a climate emergency. That's my take on it. It's a delicate balancing act for sure. Yeah. Well, it's a big story, and it's in the Defender newsletter. And you actually can go through and click on a lot of the links. I love that about the newsletter uh, and different the different stories that you have in the Defender. There's anywhere there's something highlighted in blue, you click on it, and then you just go down one rabbit hole after the next. And what uh, <laughs> you know, so I think it's something that everyone should read. And everybody, you know, take part in this. This is our world that we live in, and we all have to do our part. So, and if you're um, afraid of the uh, people that you've got in power and what they'll do if they get more power change the people that are in power yeah but you know listen i don't i didn't like trump i don't like biden i don't like either one of them i just think there's so much corruption in washington and in not just our government and the uk and australia and canada all these countries that really overstepped their governance in my opinion to the and really you know did a lot of harm to the citizens of all those countries and i don't trust them and i think most americans don't trust them anymore i don't know what we do with that but uh yeah they need to be held accountable though our government they work for us we don't work for them Everybody seems to have forgotten that. (laughs) Well, these people that we're putting into power work for their clubs. So we need to stop voting for people who identify as being a member of a club. Yeah, well, that's on the left and the right, both. It's all over the place. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Oh, it is. Well, let me tell you, in Washington, D.C., I know this to be a fact, there are certain restaurants where the liberals go and there are certain restaurants where the conservatives go. It's like this, uh, I don't know, it's kind of funny. I learned a lot from hanging out in Washington for just a few days. But uh, (laughs) 
experienced the echo chamber effect. They only want to surround themselves with people that are going to say the things to them yeah. that make them feel good. Yeah, a little behind the scenes, a little handshake deal, you know. And, uh, yeah, don't even get me started about the Super Bowl last night. Oh, my gosh, we won't even go there. But what a joke the NFL is to me at this point right now. But uh, we're going to go to break. We'll be right back. More coming up with Karen Madonna. Stay tuned, everyone. You are listening to One Life Radio. Health, freedom, news, and views with the president of Children's Health Defense, Mary Holland. One Life Radio will be right back. Hey, everyone. I have to share a story about how amazing TerraFlora Advanced Care is for gut health. So my friend Liz contracted a debilitating intestinal bacterial infection about a month ago. Her doctor told her she could have died if left untreated. He prescribed a strong antibiotic that treated her infection, but unfortunately left her with terrible stomach bloating along with other intestinal issues. I recommended that she take TerraFlora Advanced Care to help her replenish the good gut bacteria lost by taking the antibiotics. Liz said she could tell the difference in her gut immediately after taking the Advanced Care, her stomach bloating went away and she could feel her gut working the way it's supposed to. She says TerraFlora Advanced Care has been a game changer and she won't go without it. I hear stories like this all the time about TerraFlora Advanced Care and all the TerraFlora probiotics. I have been taking them for years myself and I encourage everyone to visit Enviromedica.com to see their full line of probiotics and find the one that's right for you. That's Enviromedica.com. Back with more positivity pouring out your speakers. It's One Life Radio. All right, everyone. Welcome back to One Life Radio. This is Bernadette Fiaschetti with Jerry Caldwell, Marie Early, and Karen Madonna. We are continuing our live broadcast from Dallas, Texas, on iHeartMedia, as well as KMET in Southern California on ABC News Talk. We are going over the News of the Week recap with Karen Madonna and the Children's Health Defense.org. Uh, the second headline from the most read news and views of the week from the Defender newsletter reads Plastics, a big factory, or excuse me, a big factor. <laughs> Plastics a big factor in rapidly declining sperm counts, experts say. So, Karen, sperm counts are declining worldwide and at a rate double that since the turn of the century. What do the experts say are the cause? Yeah, well, it looks like it's mostly caused by endocrine-disrupting chemicals um, such as phthalates, bisphenols, and other toxic chemicals um, that are being used more and more in consumer products. And that's it? What, what, like what kind of, uh, so toxic chemicals and plastics are likely the culprit behind the decline. Um, so what else, uh, environmental factors, uh, you said the, 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 um, all the different toxic chemicals for, um, and what else is it? And this, does it affect the testosterone level as well as the sperm count in males? Um, it, yeah, it, it, there was a little bit of a mention in the article about those lower testosterone levels as well. Um, because these chemicals actually um, disrupt the whole endocrine system. Um, and so they negatively affect something called the anogenital distance, a measure of genital development in boys as they develop in utero. Um, these chemicals are often the byproduct of, um, you know, the fuel industry like coal and fossil fuels. Mm-hmm. So they're a byproduct that the industry is sort of, incentivized um, to make into other products because there's a, there's a financial incentive. But, yes, they do affect, um, it appears, um, to affect uh, testosterone as well. Mm-hmm. Well, and so uh, and, uh, this uh, doctor, Dr. Sh- uh, Shana Swan, also said that uh, 
She thinks it's economic. She said people want these products that contain endocrine disrupting chemicals because they're seen as modern and part of everyday life and, and necessary for our survival. It's kind of an addiction. Uh, what do you think about that? I, I don't I don't know. I don't agree with that. You know, I think there's more awareness now and people are are starting to sort of make a conscious choice to not use plastic as much. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, look at water bottles. I mean, who would have thought, you know, I, I grew up in the, in the seventies, who would have thought um, that we would be buying water in plastic bottles? Right. Yeah. I, I would, couldn't have imagined that, but here we are. Right. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, it, and, and, you know, just different, you know, just different things we use every mm-hmm. day, you know, yeah. you know, a lot of plastic in in the world and, and consumer products. Yeah, so. well, you know, you know, to go back to the first story, would a climate emergency open the same door to authoritarian governance as the COVID emergency? I say yes, but, you know, one of the things when I was thinking yesterday about all of this, when I was a kid, my dad had a grocery store, and we, uh, all the Coca-Cola and the Pepsi were, not all of it, there was some that was in cans, but cans are recyclable, and a lot of them were in glass. But back, you know, east, for years uh, beyond, you know, I think in other parts of the country changed, but in upstate New York, they kept that, you you know, um, you leave basically a nickel for your glass, right? And when you come back, you get right. the, I forget what they call it, with the, what it was called, but it was very common. And I think we could go back to that. Why could we not go back to that? Why can't we reuse and repurpose glass rather than recycle it, which they say a lot of it doesn't get recycled. And so uh, that's one of the ways that we can eliminate so much practice, practice, yeah, not practice, <laughs> plastic, right. thank you, right. plastic that's in our right. environment, right? That's right. That's right. And not just not just glass and plastic, but even, you know, the grocery bags. I don't oh, I yeah. don't think many people use those plastic grocery bags anymore. Most people I know use the recyclable bags. I know I do. Um I have I have them in my car with me at all times and I and I so think about all those plastic grocery bags that are no longer being, you know, used and, and we were using them for far too long. But I remember being a kid and, and using paper bags. We everything went in brown paper bags and then my mom would use those bags as a trash bag. Yeah, there you go, repurposing it. I use them for cat litter. Any kind of bag that I get, you know, I won't even take, like if I was to buy a bottle of wine, they try to put it in a bag. I'm like, no, um, I don't want the bag. And if I did, it wouldn't be big enough. I'm always thinking in my mind, it's not big enough to utilize for cat litter because I have several cats. <laughs> I need a bigger bag. But, um, but yeah, there's so many ways that we can um, repurpose and reuse things, right, without... Um, and, I, you know, and it's funny because I remember when I lived in Europe over 30 years ago when I was in my 20s. Uh, I moved there when I was 19. Anyway, when I lived over there, the, the, it was commonplace. Nobody had paper bags over there. They had these bags that were like little nets that expanded, you know, um, and everybody carried them. There were no bags. And that was in Europe, like I said, over like 35 years ago. And so I don't know why here in America, I know they tried to do it here in Dallas and it lasted, I don't know, about a, not very long. I mean, it's not like Dallas is one of the worst cities, I have to say, in the country for not recycling stuff, case in point, that store that I told you about that throws thousands and thousands of bottles into the trash and does not recycle them here in Dallas. It's actually a store and a restaurant. But, uh, but yeah, there's little things that we can do, right, Karen? Absolutely. Absolutely. Cause, yeah, because, you know, we don't want to... Uh, have the sperm count could completely dwindle down to nothing or there'll be no procreation, right? That's, <laughs> no. that's right. Well, yeah, that's... I mean, would it be so bad to let that, let the herd thin out a little bit for a while? 
Oh my gosh. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> well, I'm wondering cuz could this have something to do too with all these gene genetic uh deals going on with kids and they're one, you know, this is kind of off the beaten path, but like, you know, how they're having their confusion issues with about their, their sexuality. About their yes. sexuality. Yeah, no. I, I bet it's due to some of this. Oh yeah, absolutely. Great point, Marie. Thank you. Um what do you think, Karen, to what Marie just said? I mean, I think it's absolutely pos- uh, possible. I mean, it's a, it's a good theory. I mean, uh, hormone disruptors, um, you know, they're being exposed to them everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's not it's not a good thing. I don't know about thinning out the population, Jerry. I think there's better ways to do that. But uh, <laughs> yeah, we don't because if your endocrine system is disrupted and you're not producing a normal sperm count, you cannot be healthy. And if you're not healthy, that's not good. Um, your health is your wealth, and we all want to live our longest life possible. I don't think anybody's in a in a rush to, uh, you know, go to the other side. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. That's just me. But, uh, okay, let's go to the next headline. Uh, It reads, uh, RFK Jr. to Kim Iverson, nobody ever complied their way out of totalitarianism. She's got to say it real fast in order to get it all out. But (laughs) Karen, uh, in in an appearance this weekend on the Kim Iverson show, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. and journalist Kim Iverson discussed resistance during the pandemic, strategies for rebuilding democracy and the power of fear and of new technologies to control dissent. Karen, what else did Bobby Kennedy Jr. have to say in this interview? Well, he talked about um, some of the CIA's mind uh, manipulation experiments um, that have happened since the, about the 1950s um, and specifically cited the Milgram experiment, um, which, you know, he has mentioned in other interviews previously. That experiment um, assessed the willingness of research subjects to obey authority figures mm-hmm. who instructed them to perform acts that conflicted with their personal conscience. Um and what they found was that 67% of the population um, were willing to cause pain and even death to others when they were ordered to do so, and then 33% refused. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's crazy. Uh, yeah, the Milgram experiment. Like I said, if you go to the story in the Defender newsletter, you can click on it, and it'll take you right to that link and explain all of it to you. That's pretty scary, really. Um, and he also said that it has struck me many, many times in the last year that we're all now in the grips of this huge Milgram experiment, Kennedy said, adding that we have Dr. Anthony Fauci, who has, who is this trusted authority who's telling us to do things that we know are wrong, like censor speech, like close all the churches in the country for a year with no scientific evidence, no citation, no public hearings, no public debate. Who's ordering us to put on masks, even though uh, he admitted a week before that masks don't work? Who's ordering us to close every business in the country? 3.3 million businesses with no due process, no just compensation in violation of the Constitution. Who's telling us to get rid of jury trials, uh, the Sixth and Seventh Amendments? Pretty scary stuff when you look back, right? Right. And, you know, it was all done because, you know, a lot of people complied because they were fearful. Mm-hmm. And that is something that he speaks about frequently as well is that fear is such a potent motivator. Yeah. Oh, it absolutely is. And, uh, you know, 
that's why Franklin Roosevelt made his famous statement that was the mant- mantra until the pandemic of the Democratic Party. Kennedy said, which was the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. It's one of the most famous uh, quotes about fear. Fear is the enemy because it allows totalitarian systems to take control of people and destroy institutions and values. And he, Roosevelt, said, we're not going to do that. So I don't know. Uh, you think the next crisis, if, if there's going to be one, I guess there will be. Do you think it'll even be worse? What do you think, Karen? It could be. It could be. And like Bobby always says, anytime um, that a government takes power, it will not voluntarily give it back. So uh, I think mm-hmm. that's what, what, you know, we've seen. And, you know, we have to, you know, see if it happens again. Uh, government uh, will also use its power to the maximum extent possible. So mm-hmm. these are all dangerous concepts uh, and, and things that I think our founding fathers were, were aware of. And, um so we're going to all have to be paying attention and, um, you know, try to try to balance, you know, safety and and protecting the environment with, you know, um, basic rights. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's it's pretty scary. You know, he added another rule is that any power of the government or that the government takes, it will ultimately abuse to the maximum extent possible. And again, he said, and then the third rule uh, that I would say, and this is the one that I said earlier, nobody ever complied their way out of totalitarian regime rules. So if you think by obeying these rules that somehow things are going to get better or it's going to be, uh, or it's going to satiate the need to control you, it's not. It's just going to embolden them to do something worse the next time. I tend to agree after seeing what happened, and I think we all need to be aware um, and be very cautious as we move forward. Uh, and I'm looking at the clock. We need to go to break. All right, Karen, <laughs> you ready to go to break? <laughs> Okay. All right. We'll be right back. Everybody stay tuned. More coming up with Karen Madonna. We are doing the recap of the Children's Health Defense, the Defender Newsletter, Top uh, News and Views. We'll be right back. You are listening to One Life Radio. If you missed the show, not to worry. You can always catch the podcast after the broadcast at OneLifeRadio.com or your favorite podcast app. Be sweet, Barricade. Crazy Waters benefits have a history that runs deep. The legend is that in 1881, a woman who suffered from dementia would sit by the well and drink the mineral water all day long. People began to notice that the woman was not so crazy anymore. Had the well gotten rid of her crazies? The well became known as the Crazy Well and people from all over flocked to this magical place. Back in 1904, the famous mineral water company began bottling and distributing its mineral water. The benefits of these minerals all feed your body and mind what it craves. It's a natural sports drink without all the disruptive artificial flavors and sugars. You can find Crazy Water by visiting their website, drinkcrazywater.com. That's drinkcrazywater.com. Want to advertise on One Life Radio? Send us an email, info at oneliferadio.com. Contagiously positive. One Life Radio is back. All right, everyone. 
welcome back to One Life Radio. This is Bernadette with Jerry and Marie and Karen Madano. We are broadcasting live from Dallas, Texas on iHeartMedia, as well as KMET in Southern California on ABC News Talk. News Talk. We are continuing our conversation of the news and views recap with Karen and the Children's Health Defense. Okay, so Karen, the next headline reads, Higher Infant Mortality Rates Linked to Higher Number of Vaccine Doses New study confirms. Karen, what can you tell us about this new peer-reviewed study confirming the findings made by researchers from a decade ago? What is the relationship uh, also between SIDS and vaccinations? We'll get to that after the first part. Sure. This um, study was done by Gary Goldman and uh, Neil Miller. Um, This was a replicated study that they had done in 2011, and they came up basically with the same results. Um, and uh, they found that the more uh, vaccinations uh, a child receives, the more likely they are to uh, die. Um, so the infant mortality rate is uh, correlates with the more, more shots. Uh, so <clears throat> the more the doses, the higher the infant mortality rate. Mm-hmm. Um, their, their paper was challenged um, by a group from, my, uh, I think it was, uh, uh, what university was that? Um, I'm not sure. Um, it was. Um, oh, I, I read it last other? night. I can't think of it right now, though. But I did. I remember. The, uh, it's, uh, I think it was in the UK, maybe. I think it was Brigham University. Um, we're saying, you know, that they didn't come up with the same, the same results, but they used data from countries that didn't have that had more um, factors involved. So other factors that would be contributing to infant mortality rate, like like poverty and, and malnutrition. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but they found that, again, um, the more uh, doses, the, the higher the infant mortality rate, um, which is not surprising to me. Um, and also, uh, the data shows that the uh, infant death spike in days following vaccination, and this is according to data from the Vaccine Adverse Events Reporting System, um, which is very sad, uh, found that 78% of these deaths occurred within 70, with seven days of vaccination. Wow. Wow. And it was Brigham Young University. You're right. But and, and the, one of the researchers or the main ones was Elizabeth G. Bailey, PhD. She's a biology assistant professor at Brigham Young. Um, but yeah, no. And this is a, this is they, they, they discovered this 10 years ago through their research. And yet here we are still adding more vaccinations to the schedule for children starting at six months. I mean, it just doesn't even make sense. It's like it, it's it's so obvious and so criminal at this point. I don't know. I don't know how why it continues. I don't know why, like, everyone in America has not said enough. We need to stop this. I mean, I, if I'm not mistaken, during uh, the COVID crisis, when, when people were not taking their children to get them vaccinated, the uh, sudden infant death uh, syndrome, uh, the SIDS uh, percentage rate of, or, of death for children went down by 39% or something like that, right? Yeah, in fact. In fact, we spoke about that on a previous episode that I, I joined you on. Yes, yes. Yeah, that was lessons from the lockdown. And, um, yeah, very, very important. And then the other thing I want to mention is that Children's Health Defense is going to be publishing a book um, in a couple of months called Vax on Vax, Let the Science Speak. Um, that's with uh, uh, Bobby Kennedy and Dr. Brian Hooker. Um, they look at the health outcomes of fully vaccinated, partially vaccinated, and unvaccinated children. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. It's been a very interesting book, and I think it's going to really, uh, you know, 
go along with these results that we've seen. The more vaccines, the higher, you know, infant mortality rate and probably many other uh, uh, negative health outcomes. Well, and epilepsy. I mean, no one ever even talks about that, but there's definitely a connection between that epilepsy and vaccinations as well, because it's a neurotoxin. You know, uh, the 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 aluminum, what are the, and all the stuff, the adjuvants are, that that they add to them to get them to absorb into the body, right? Break the blood. That's right. Well, the, well, the adjuvants really um, trigger the immune uh, system to to respond, and that can really go haywire. Um, and people who are, you know, carrying, you know, a toxic load or have some certain genetic susceptibilities. So when you, you have immune cells in your brain called glial cells, I know all of this because I have a son with epilepsy who's vaccine injured. And um, mm-hmm. when, when those cells start, you know, you know, reacting, in, you know, and having an immune response, you get you get inflammation and a cytokine storm. So, yes, epilepsy is just one of the many negative health comes that you see in um, children and one of uh, who are heavily vaccinated. And it is listed on the package insert as a as a potential outcome, as a po- potential adverse event on virtually every vaccination. Yeah. It's so scary. It is so much that we don't know. And um, I'm glad that the Defender, though, does these stories and puts them out every week. And friend, you can go to the childrenshealthdefense.org to sign up for the Defender newsletter and get these in your email every Sunday morning um, and read them throughout the week. It's just such a great source of information and education. Um, Okay, so the next story headline from the Defender newsletter at the childrenshealthdefense.org reads, The 15-Minute City, a climate solution or just an excuse for more control? Karen, can you you explain to our listeners what the 15-minute city concept is? Sure. It's, it's kind of an urban planning concept um, that, that states that all needs for living, working, and playing would be met within 15 minutes of, of your home. So, um, you know, and that's, that's not necessarily a bad idea. Um, um, it also um, does, though, bring into some of the... Um, concepts of surveillance in the smart city, right? Um, what they're doing, um, this article talks about what they're going to be proposing in Oxfordshire County in the UK. And that's really um, that people aren't supposed to be leaving a certain, like a 15-minute radius of their home uh, unless they have special permits and unless they do it at a certain time during the day. And this is supposed to encourage people to use public transportation or to walk, which is definitely a good thing, right? Mm -hmm. We we encourage that. But I think people fear that it could be used um, to really um, control and and, uh, um, control the movement of of citizens and, uh, and really surveil them. Yeah, no. I, well, just here's a case here. I just this just now popped into my head. Let's just say you have an elderly parent and they live in a different city than you. OK, or they live beyond that 15 minute city, uh, you know, uh, limit that they want you to drive. Um, and, and let's say it's 30 minutes to get to your mom or dad and they rely on you for groceries and what have you. They're not ready to sell their home and move in with you or be put in a nursing home. I mean, there's a hundred case scenarios, thousands and thousands of case scenarios that you could use to 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 debate whether or not this 15 minute city, uh, you know, climate solution, or just an excuse for more control. I say it's a little bit of both. Right. I'm actually in that same situation where I have an elderly parent that lives, you know, more than 15 minutes away from me. So I, that was my first thought, uh, Bernadette. So, so again, interesting, you know, you you know, some, some, some good ideas, uh, that, you know, should, should be, you know, 
thoroughly considered um, and, and not taken to the extreme. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. There's a lot to think about. And again, uh, if everyone out there listening, go to the Defender uh, newsletter at thechildrenshealthdefense.org and sign up. And you can read this article. It's definitely things that we, we need to be thinking about this as uh, as a country, as a nation, as a world. So many things we need to think about because we do need to reduce emissions and, and improve the quality of life. Um, but... You know, it has to, uh, it just has to be done correctly. It has to be done well. It has to be done with a lot of thought put into it about scenarios like we just talked about. That's funny. You must have sent me a subliminal message or something, I swear, (laughs) through the radio waves because that just popped into my head while we were live on the air. But uh, let's move to uh, the next story. The next piece was written by the Children's Health Defense team. The headline reads, Pharma's Gatekeeper, How the PrEP Act Protects Everyone Except Those injured by vaccines. So Karen, can you explain what the PrEP Act is and how it is protecting everyone except the vaccine injured? Sure. Well, the PrEP Act authorizes the Secretary of Health and Human Services to declare when a disease, a condition, or a threat to health constitutes a public health emergency. Um, The PrEP Act grants immunity from legal liability for all claims of loss related to the use or administration of countermeasures. And it is specifically for the purpose of providing immunity from liability. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. And so I'm reading here and dismissing a lawsuit filed by the child's parents against the Wyndham Southeast School District, the state of Vermont, and others. Judge Michael uh, Kynan uh, cited the Public Readiness and Emergency Preparedness Act. This, uh, do you think that it... Uh, what do you think about all this? I mean, it, it doesn't seem like uh, we're really protected, right? It's uh, it's protecting everyone except the vaccine injured. It, it that's correct. That's or I correct. say everyone. It's I mean, pharma and pharmaceuticals in the pharmaceutical industry. Right. It. it but it does. It's interesting. It protects uh, the government, the manufacturer, a, dis- a distributor, a program planner. So maybe maybe a public health. Um, program to roll out uh, some shots, whoever plans that um, from a public health office, and anyone who administers or dispenses it. So Mm. in this case, it sounds like the school, um, the judge decided that the school was protected by the PrEP Act because the school administered it, uh, even though they had been notified um, in many ways that uh, by the parents that that child should Mm. not receive the covid that. Yeah, it's it's kind of crazy. And then, you know, it talks in here about the National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act of 1986, which uh, was signed by President, former President Ronald Reagan. Uh, and he said this is, you know, a lot of people know this, that he signed and approved the bill with mixed feelings because he had serious reservations about the vaccine compensation program. He also said that there were substantial deficiencies in the vaccine plan under which injured people could obtain payments from the government without providing or, excuse me, proving fault or wrongdoing by the vaccine manufacturer or anyone else. But um, I mean, it's it's uh, it was an, and he also said it was an unprecedented arrangement. And we know uh, that it was it's it's caused a lot of tragedy in our country and it's given basically pharmaceutical companies uh, uh, just incredible. Um, what do I want to say here? Oh, just, just like it, well, it incentivized them to to create more vaccines and add them to the schedule because yeah. it was really, you know, you know, a, a boom for the industry. Oh yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, it corrupted the industry. When you've got no um, no gatekeeper or anyone to say, no, you can't do that, that's not wrong, and then they're printing money, basically. Um, I mean, think about all the vaccines there are and all the pharmaceutical companies that are a trade on the stock exchange, and, and they know when a new vaccine's coming out, and there's vaccines for everything now. I mean, you just have to take a little closer look at it and scratch your head and go, why are there so many vaccines, and why is this country so sick? There's a connection. Agreed? Uh, 100% I agree. Yeah. All right. We're going to go to break. Uh, more coming up with Karen Madano and the Children's Health Defense.org. Stay tuned, everyone. You are listening to One Life Radio. Follow us on social media at One Life Radio. In today's environment, books provide the most reliable means for disseminating knowledge. Children's Health Defense Publishing offers titles written by foremost authorities and courageous voices who speak the truth despite criticism and consequences, often at the expense of their careers. Here are the latest must-reads in the fight for truth. The courage to face COVID-19, preventing hospitalization and death while battling the biopharmaceutical complex by true crime writer John Leake and prominent research cardiologist Dr. Peter McCullough. Lies My Government Told Me and The Better Future Coming by Dr. Robert Malone. And Cause Unknown, The Epidemic of Sudden Deaths in 2021 and 2022 by former BlackRock fund manager Ed Dowd. Get your copies today at skyhorsepublishing.com and listen to the show every Monday with Mary Holland, president of Children's Health Defense for updates and deep dives into these new releases. That's skyhorsepublishing.com. We're back. More of One Life Radio starts now. All right, everyone. Welcome back to One Life Radio. This is Bernadette with Jerry Marie and Karen Madonna. We are continuing our live broadcast here from Dallas, Texas on iHeartMedia, as well as KMET in Southern California on ABC News Talk. Okay, we've got four more headlines to go with Karen. And the next headline reads, Seed Oils, a Dangerous Global Human Experiment Without Informed Consent. Karen, this piece was written by uh, someone I highly respect, Dr. Joseph Mercola. What did he have to say about seed oils? Sure. Um, Seed oils are, uh, well, the consumption of seed oils in our country has um, increased dramatically since the early 1900s. Americans used to consume two grams a day, and as of 2010, they were consuming 80 grams a day, uh, which is really a huge increase, Bernadette. Also, he talks about this Dr. Chris Knob, um, I hope I'm saying his name right, um, claims that most chronic diseases are linked in some way to the consumption of these oils. Oh, yeah. Uh, that includes heart disease, diabetes, obesity, high blood pressure, Alzheimer's, macular degeneration, and metabolic syndrome. Um, these, these are usually found in processed foods, um, oh. and it's, um, and it's, you know, vegetable oil, corn oil, rapeseed, sunflower, safflower oil, rice bran, soybean, and corn oil. Um, and Crisco is a perfect example, uh, was the first commercially produced trans fat and was touted as healthier and, um, more economical than, than lard. Um, we know better now, right? Oh, yeah. Well, it's cheap. That's why they use it. You know, they're trying to, uh, you know, create as much uh, re- revenue and increase their bottom line no matter what. No matter. It's just cheap oil and it's and it's produced. Uh, most of it's genetically modifi- modified as well. And uh, it really is something that you need to be aware of. You have to read your labels. Um, and there are the chronic disease is definitely related to this. And as you said, it's on the rise and it just, yeah, you know, they just keep trying to do things cheaper and cheaper. 
Um, you know, and so you do have to do your own homework and take your take your life and your health in your own hands, um, because yep. you, you know you can't you can't count on a big corporation to have your uh, have your back. It's that simple, That's right? <laughs> these right. Are found in processed, right. These are found in processed shelf oh, yeah. food, and it's, they are found in salad dressings. They're found in everything. So everything. really. You need to eat things in its natural state, you know, uh, salad dressings, you know, they always have that soybean oil. I mean, uh-huh. I don't even, buy, I try to, I try to buy or, or make my own salad dressing now because, you know, you, you, you full of the, the nasty oils and they're very inflammatory. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, and so you have to, you know, you just have to do your homework. There's, you know, and it's in all kinds of, like you said, foods, even, you know, something that you might think. So, you know, I eat a lot of vegan foods. And, and now that I am an empty nester, a lot of times I'll just get some frozen uh, dinners and put them in the oven. Mm-hmm. And But you switch, you flip them over and you start reading the ingredients and it might say on the front, vegan, gluten-free, da-da-da, la-la-la, you know, all these little, you know, t- uh, phrases that make you think, oh, gosh, this is so good for me. You know, and then you flip it over and I'm telling you nine times out of ten it's got it's made with canola oil or some sort of bad seed oil so whether it's vegan or not you really need to read all your labels because the bottom line is uh their bottom line comes before your health so be aware and i i love dr joseph mercola he talks about stuff that's really important and uh, he's a great contributor to the children's health defense as well uh the defender newsletter regularly so um let's go to the next headline we've got just a couple of minutes the next defender news Newsletter uh, headline reads, a Merck's taxpayer subsidized COVID pill linked to new virus mutations study finds. So, Karen, what did uh, Michael Nev- uh, Neverdakis, Ph.D., report in this top COVID news story from the Defender newsletter? Sure. Well, this drug is called Molnupiravir, and I had to practice saying that before before you <laughs> called me up. So I understand. Really hard <laughs> I do that um, a lot. Yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> This new study came out on January 27th and found that it was absolutely possible that some patients treated with molnupiravir might not fully clear SARS-CoV-2 infection, uh, leading to the potential for uh, onward transmission of mutated viruses. Uh, Merck received a lot of money um, in, in the form of taxpayer funding from the Biden administration to develop and distribute the drug. Um, and after the studies followed, which is, I think is really interesting, um, the discovery that was made by a middle school science and math teacher from Indiana who found numerous variants appeared after the widespread distribution was made uh, of uh, molnupiravir. Wow. Unbelievable, but I'm not surprised. And uh, who comes up with these names of these pharmaceutical drugs anyway? I always wondered how, how they name them. I'll have to Google that after the show. <laughs> I didn't have time. But uh, okay, so two more headlines to go from the Defender newsletter. The next headline reads, Scientist tells RFK Jr. that militaristic medicine is linked to excess deaths, especially among the poor and disabled. And you know, Karen, when I read that headline, it was just so uh, disturbing it was. So what does Dr. Dennis Rancourt, PA, have to say in a recent or what did he have to say in a recent episode of the defender show with rfk jr on chd tv yeah well you know he stated that you know the deaths were probably more attributed to the the um the covid response than the actual virus Mm -hmm. um many of these deaths people said were in the elderly 
but he cites that they were also very high in anyone who was institutionalized. So Dr. Rancourt is sort of a special, you know, his special interest is um, all-cause mortality. So he knows how to look at data and go, well, wait a minute, you know, it wasn't really the virus. Um, uh, young people who were institutionalized, people who were um, very isolated, uh, and people who were poor really experienced the highest uh, death um, during, during, you know, the COVID response. Yeah. And I'm reading here that he talks about psychological stress, social isolation, take a higher toll on poor and disabled. It's just really sad, you know, and you think about, you know, I have a brother that's uh, it's a it's a nice place. It's not so bad. It's not what I would call an institution, but he lives in a home um, for the mentally ill in uh, in, in Houston. And, uh, you know, and and he is very isolated. He, you know, it, it happens in places like that. And. I don't know. It's just really sad um, that we see it over and over again in our society that people that are poor and disabled or disadvantaged are the ones that are so often taken um, for granted and taken, um, I don't know, down a path they might not choose if they weren't, uh, you know, disabled. Right. right? Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Have more freedom. Absolutely. He also cited that there were 3.7 million excess deaths in India that, that were linked to the roll, rollout of the COVID vaccine. So mm-hmm. he talks about the actual vaccine leading to as well. Yeah. You know what? There's the music. We did not get to the last story, which is House Republicans grill top U.S. health officials over mishandling of COVID response. Who would like to be a fly on the wall at the down there or in there? <laughs> Listen to that. But uh, I'm not sure anybody's going to be held accountable, though. What do you think, Karen? Quickly. Think they're going to? <laughs> take a long time if it, yeah. if it happens. Yeah, yeah, I don't think it's going to happen. But you know what? It's always great to have you with us. Thank you so much, Karen Madonna, everyone. Uh, she is the chapter coordinator for Children's Health Defense. You can go there and sign up for the Defender newsletter at childrenshealthdefense.org. Everyone, you get one body, you get one mind, and you get one life. Get informed. Sign up for the Defender newsletter. Woo! Only get one life.